Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. I'm delighted this morning to be joined by Yves Engler. He's one of my favorite political authors and someone who really brings to light issues that are not just of importance, but really define us as a society. Thank you so much for being with us, Yves. Thanks for having me. Now, in many ways, Haiti is one of those examples in history where we feel awe for the black people who fought against liberation from slavery. And their reward was to be put on with uh, sanctions and odious um, debts that they had to pay for their freedom. How has that history changed in the 21st century? Well, unfortunately, it's not changed uh, enough. Obviously, the Haitian Revolution was a brutal 13-year struggle against uh, European enslavement uh, that was fought against uh, the French, first of all, secondly, the British, Spanish. That was uh, different elements of Canadian, in quotations, as pre-Confederation, uh, contribution to, to trying to suppress the Haitian Revolution. If you uh, move forward to today, and then the Haitians were forced to um, to pay their 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 slave owners for lost property, which was the lost land and the lost uh, slaves, the human beings. Um, a debt that took more than 100 years for Haiti to pay off, uh, all the way until the mid uh, mid 1940s. But um, you know, today, uh, unfortunately, the it's certainly not as brutal as during the the slave period or or the the debt of independence that Haiti was forced to pay, but um, Haiti's under um, a uh, dictatorship that's backed by uh, the U.S. and Canada, and uh, the only reason the dictatorship's able to uh, to, to stay is because of uh, U.S. and uh, Canadian support. So uh, the Haitian Revolution did uh, as much as any um, event in history to. Uh, advance the cause of human liber- liberation, um, but Haitians have uh, have not uh, um, been able to uh, fully uh, uh, gain the um, the advances of that uh, of that revolution. In recent history, we've seen many disasters displace people, and many disasters compromise. Um, the life of, of of people. When we think of the two thousand, you know, eight cholera breakout in Haiti, um, the massive uh, outreach and outpour of support by people, we think of a society that wants to see a world with justice. And so, can we talk a little bit about the importance of a country having its own? government elected by the people, how has the removal of Aristides uh, impacted not only Haiti's ability to recover, but to have a government that serves the people? The uh, the ouster of the uh, Aristide government in 2004 and thousands of other elected officials uh, was a massive blow to a uh, struggling uh, democratic system. 
it's a blow that uh, continues to be felt uh, in an indirect sense uh, that the in the years after the coup, the uh, political party of Aristide, Family Lavalas, the most popular political party, was excluded from elections. Um, also at the level, there was a UN occupation of the country for 15 years. The UN still has a mission in Haiti that's uh, 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 quite uh, influential and that very much uh, has undercut Haitian uh, sovereignty. But today, I mean, concretely today, you have a president that is staying in office after his mandate expired. Uh, his <clears throat> Jovenel Moise's constitutional legitimacy was always very weak, um, even according to the official um, account. Uh, he uh, he only got uh, 550,000 or so votes uh, in a country of 11 million people, and there's even doubts about whether he actually got all those votes. Um, uh, so it's a very small sliver of the population that participated in, in elections that were viewed as uh, um, very very questionable um, and uh, and so you have a president that's that's staying in power even though the, he all the constitutional authority within Haiti says that his mandate is done as of February 7th and uh, it's a presidency that's incredibly uh, corrupt there's a there's a uh, you know, found uh, to be in uh, this couple billion dollars of uh, the Petro Caribe uh, subsidized oil program that Venezuela set up that, that was pilfered by uh, Moise and his predecessor uh, from the same political party, Michel Martelly. And Michel Martelly was uh, the previous president. He was put into office by the U.S. and Canada after the earthquake and, uh, and after, amidst the terrible cholera outbreak, they forced these elections that were uh, done in terrible uh, circumstances and uh, and then they when the uh, second round um, uh, had uh, a, a candidate in the second round of the presidential runoff that was uh, not of their liking they just basically decided that Martelly who was a former member of the Tonton Macout of the Duvalier dictatorship um, uh, that he was rightfully in the second place and he became president with very few people voting. And then Martelli put in Jovenel uh, uh, Moise. So the um, Canadian intervention in 2004, 17 years ago, to overthrow the elected government, to put in a coup government, uh, it obviously directly um, undermined Haitian uh, sovereignty and democracy. But it also uh, led to this uh, the further uh, imperial dominance of Haiti. You know, it was Haiti has been struggling for genuine independence for a long time, and it's not like in 2002 it wasn't a country that already was quite uh, penetrated in, by the imperial forces. But uh, it just took it to a whole new level, and uh, you know, Haiti's uh, institutions are very weak. Um, consistently uh, undercut by uh, U.S. and Canada, um, the institutions that that we we strengthen, the main institution we're into strengthening, the Haitian police, of course, is uh, is very repressive, and it basically maintains the status quo of uh, you know twelve families who are mostly light skinned, um, basically dominating the economy. Uh, it maintain directly maintains the uh, 
the dictatorship that the population is 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 uh, uh, wholeheartedly against, and, and you know Canada's role in in building up the Haitian police really took off after the 2004 coup because um, basically what happened in 2004, unlike previous coups in Haitian history, they, they were forced the U.S., France, and Canada were forced to send troops. The previous coups, it was just the Haitian military that overthrew the uh, the elected president or a president that you know, wasn't liked. Um, but now, because or then, because uh, because uh, the Aristide, first Aristide government disbanded the uh, Haitian military that was created by the U.S. that was only used to repress the domestic population, uh, it was much more difficult to oust the president. They had to, you know, send foreign troops. They didn't. They couldn't just, you know, get a faction of the military or the entire command of the military to overthrow the government. They they needed a uh, actual foreign intervention. So so we've been basically building up. Uh, tripled in size the Haitian police force over the past uh, 15 years and that's what uh, much of what our so-called aid to Haiti uh, has been doing um, and of course as I stated it's about about entrenching the uh, the unjust status quo and uh, at a macro level but also at a specific level maintaining a, uh, a dictatorship that the population is overwhelmingly uh, against. You know, when I when I think about uh, the relationship that we all share with how one country can be overthrown and governed by NGOs and then have imposed precedents, uh, it's a familiar story, sadly, for Latin Americans who have seen the coup in Honduras, the coup in Guatemala, who have seen coups, you know, in Bolivia in the last two years, who have seen the um, Canada's leadership in trying to depose the elected government of Venezuela. So it's it's not a, a surprise story, but most people in the world think of Canada as a government of peacemaking, of goodwill. Um, so can we talk a little bit about the role of imperialism? Because we, we don't usually use this word at dinner time. We don't talk about why one nation would want to you know, govern other nations and impose the kinds of, you know, um, restrictions against the poor, the kinds of, you know, odious wages that we determine, you know, worthy in other areas that we wouldn't tolerate in our own land. So how is Canada as a so-called broker and for many indigenous people as an imperialist power impacting the or preventing the path to democratic government? First of all, uh, Haiti is, you know, when you look at the imperial structure in, in, in Latin America and the interventions and the destabilizations and all that kind of stuff, basically, you know, uh, Haiti is is that on steroids, right? It's it's the it's consistently the the uh, the most egregious um, example of uh, of that uh, uh, you know U.S. Canadian uh, imperial uh, process in the hemisphere. And I think that the you know the racism allows or enables an even more aggressive uh, policy from from the U.S. and Canada. Um, anti-black racism specifically. So, you know, what is that about, right? What What's going on? Well, the, I mean, there's, there are different elements to it. What part of what's going on is, you know, Haiti is a hub of low-wage uh, sweatshop work, right? It's the lowest wages in the hemisphere, and uh, 
and it's a it's used as a way to pressure uh, um, uh, you know workers in Mexico or Honduras who may be pushing for uh, uh, you know union or higher minimum wage and and they say the, the sweatshop companies including you know major Canadian ones like Guild and Activewear say oh well, we can always move to Haiti if you uh, if you try to you know get up to you know eight or ten dollars a day you know in Haiti we can pay them we can pay people four or five dollars a day. Um, so there's a dynamic there as a as a sort of reserve army of labor Haitians are they sort of um, used in that way. Um, more at a more macro level, the the uh, imperial policy in the hemisphere is really about maintaining U.S.-led domination geopolitically, controlling, keeping countries weak, keeping them divided, keeping them you know dependent on the U.S. You know all kinds of different uh, uh, levels for, broadly speaking, the interests of, you know, foreign uh, uh, capital for multinational corporations. And Canada is a big player in that, and most obviously in the mining sector, but also Canadian banks are big players in the hemisphere and major chain sweatshop companies. Um, uh, so, so you know, that's an that's a, a important part of that. Canada has been Canadian elite have benefited, have done well by uh, U.S. imperialism in the hemisphere, and uh, and the Canadian government has uh, has supported that. Haiti is a uniquely egregious example of Canada overthrowing a government, backing a two-year brutal uh, coup government that killed thousands of people, um, and then you know right up until today, uh, having incredible levels of influence. Within the country and and backing the most uh, regressive, corrupt individuals of Haitian life, basically we, we you know we we empower we we empower the you know the mafiosos of of Haitian uh, politics and Haitian uh, society. That's who we you know decide should you know be the governors of Haiti. So yeah, so this you know Canada is right at the at the heart of uh, of this, and that's why you see. Uh, um, regularly at protests, you, you see people um, uh, targeting Canada. They have signs with the Canadian flag on it, and you have people, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails at the Canadian embassy. Uh, you know, a bit of, about a year and a bit ago, uh, burning tires in front of the Canadian embassy. Protests uh, uh, going, you know, be, uh, uh, passing and you know, be targeting the embassy. And... I I just want to say that you know, in many ways, we we tend to become desensitized, you know, and I think that when we have a government that is so overtly racist um, against black people in particular, we start to see a narrative unfolding, you know, and in spite of the great um, social movement of Black Lives Matters that was be- has become so visible in 2020 during a COVID pandemic when more than 26 million participated in the Black Lives Matter, it seems that we can have corners of injustice in the world. You know, we have to, like my father-in-law used to say, you can't have a peeing corner inside the pool. You know, either you allow no peeing in the pool or it, it all gets contaminated. So in order for us to have a society with justice, we need to uh, place the focus on places like Haiti. And we need to start thinking about you know, how am I implicated? How am I complicit with the oppression and 
the repression of people in Haiti? And how do you invite people to start not only thinking, but taking action on, you know, creating a world where justice is possible? First part of that, I think, is that people just if you, you know, if you happen to live in Canada, um, the government in place here is is um, is uh, doing things in Haiti that are, that are morally unacceptable. And, and so you just basically have a responsibility to counteract that. Um, and uh, how do you do that? I mean, I, that's a broad discussion. A very tangible way would be there's a, a Canadian Foreign Policy Institute has put forward a couple as a email action alert uh, to MPs calling on them to say to oppose uh, this return to dictatorship in Haiti. Uh, and there's also a public letter that's been circulated. People can sign and find out about uh at foreignpolicy.ca. Uh, um, so, you know, take a, a concrete action, contact your local MP uh, to to say that they should make, make their, their opposition to Canada's role in Haiti uh, uh, public and you know, put out a tweet or whatnot. Uh, so that's, you know, very concrete action in the here and now against a very specific uh, uh, dynamic. But the broader, the broader question is people have to be informed. First of all, you have to uh, look into these matters and you know, take the time to to learn about these matters because you you can't can't be a be a citizen you can't be a uh, you can't have any effect until you can understand what's broadly going on um, uh, and then it's a matter of uh, you know joining the uh, the different uh, uh, social movements organizations challenging these issues and and you know there was a after the coup of 2004, there was a Canada-Haiti Action Network across the country that had local chapters in many cities. Here in Montreal, we, the Solidarité Québec-Haïti has has, uh, has been active for the last couple of years on these on these issues. There's things like the Canada-Haiti Information Project. Um, that's a you know information resource that people can check out. Um, but you know you can join. Uh, you can create a Haiti Solidarity Group or or you know just a, a peace organization or general uh, international focused uh, organization. People can uh, um, get active with different political parties that are that are you know engaged in some of these issues. Be that uh, um, the Communist Party, or Socialist Action, or different uh, groups that have actually been willing to. Uh, to oppose on this, these issues, people can, you know, people who are members of the Greens or the NDP can can bring these issues up within within the party. There's, you know, some elements of those parties that have been willing to um, um, criticize Canadian policy. But there, you know, there's no there's no easy answer. I mean, the main thing is to, you know, build social movements and build uh, progressive uh, organizations that, uh, you know, media outlets, you know, support financially or otherwise. Uh, media outlets that are willing to tell these stories. Um, uh, um, so yeah, there's you know many facets to it, um, but the but the main issue is people need to pay attention and and and, and uh, get active on these issues. And in the case of Haiti, you know they're a brilliant and heartbreaking example of resilience, of resistance. You know, they they were the first to liberate themselves from slavery, and they have paid a huge price. And I think in terms of uh, their continual resistance, despite all the tragedies and catastrophes, the, the Haiti people are a very strong people. And I think for all of us, it's important to um, ally and become allies 
of people who can teach us how to do resilience, how to be strong, how to, you know, continuously dream of a world that has justice. So as we will inevitably get blocked and feel defeated sometimes, what keeps you hope? What keeps you moving? What keeps you creating this active hope? Because hope can be this thing that wishy dreaming, right? Or it can be an active hope where we are constantly acting and therefore we are hopeful that we can change it. Well, first of all, you know, if you look at the Haitian Revolution and and the difficulties of of what people overcame, obviously the difficulties that we face today in terms of, you know, a government that is... uh, that is, uh, you know, hostile, or you have political culture that is indifferent, or media that is <clears throat> that is aligned with power, and all those kind of obstacles, and there are, and many others that, that that we face are are inconsequential compared to, uh, you know, the the uh, some of what you know, what concretely Haitians overcame to to uh, abolish slavery on the on the island. So so I think it's important to to be. Uh, clear about the, you know, the, the genuine obstacles, but also that the, the difficulties are not as uh, drastic as uh, it, it may seem. Um, in terms of hope, I mean, I think that there, there are you know, concrete advances that are being made and lost every day. I mean, there's the Haiti uh, uh, example. There are, you know, what's going on now, the dictatorship that the people are facing is a, is a, is a, you know, a seriously regressive step. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, under this current dictatorship, it's, uh, you know, there still are mass protests in a way that would have was just almost impossible under the Duvalier dictatorship, 30-year Duvalier dictatorship until the mid-1980s. And that's because there has been a process over the past 30, 35 years of the masses, the majority, uh, having some political say. I mean, you know, the, the Haitian elite in the U.S. and Canada have done everything they can to snuff out uh, that, uh, that, you know, political engagement and, you know, they do everything they can to you know, manipulate elections. Um, but the fact there are elections is, is a step forward from where things were 35 years ago, right? So, so it's, you know, it's the, the levels of manipulation and, 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 and uh, interference and all those kind of things are, you know, real and are a significant obstacle to genuine democracy. Um, but there have been uh, uh, advances. So, so those are those are things to look at. And I think that to a large extent, uh, the same thing goes with our society, right? If you look at our society, you look at Canada, um, and you go back 70 years you find that there was a whole lot more racism. There was a whole lot um, uh, uh, more indifference to what Canada did uh, globally in terms of, you know, killing, being involved in killing millions of people in the Korean War in the 1950s. So there have been some advancements. I think ecologically things are not going in a good direction. (laughs) Ecologically things are, you know, going almost entirely in a negative direction. I think other spheres of uh, political and social life think it's more complicated. There have been advancements with regards to weakening patriarchy. There have been advancements with lessening racism. There have been advancements with, uh, you know, with undercutting certain types of authority. There have been, uh, I think, steps in the wrong direction in terms of economic inequality. 
there's positives and negatives playing out, and uh, what gives hope is is to uh, do you know, what possible to uh, increase the uh, the positives, uh, the the more egalitarian. Uh, ecologically uh, uh, minded uh, anti-colonial um, uh, forces and dynamics that we're seeing, and, and there are, uh, you know, important advancements on those fronts, uh, and uh, doing what we can to um, to get the scales, you know, further uh, in uh, in that direction. And I, I also feel that there is a responsibility, you know, this ability to respond by first learning about these histories that are hidden in plain sight. You know, we don't talk about this in our Canadian history class, how Canada's role of imperialism has deposed governments worldwide, you know, and has created so much suffering. We don't talk in our daily conversations about what imperialism means for us you know, living in a Canadian state and among Indigenous people who are being disposed of their, their unceded territory. So all of these conversations, are, I think, are part of a weaving, right, of who and what we want to envision for our children, you know, to remember us. You know, what are we, right? Are we agents of our history? Are we agents of change? Or are we simply going to go with the status quo, you know? And um, one of my friends says, you know, even a dead fish can go with the flow. So um, <laughs> as we come to the closing of our interview, I just want us to maybe give us some concrete uh, actions that people can take, given that the last week, uh, you know, there was a, a letter published criticizing Canada's support for the reset you know, repressive, corrupt, uh, Haitian government. And so there's key things that are timely that people can do right now that can possibly make a difference. Yeah, there's a public letter that was signed by uh, three uh, current MPs, three former MPs, people like uh, Nate Suzuki, Noam Chomsky, Naomi Klein, Roger Waters, uh, poet L. Jones and 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 other hundreds hundreds of other peoples. You can sign that letter at uh, at foreignpolicy.ca slash public letter. Uh, you can also it was an action alert earlier uh, last month, um, uh, which uh, allows you to email all all MPs uh, all at once. It takes you know, about a minute or so. Uh, it, that's available uh, at Action uh, Network. If you just punch in uh, uh, "stop Canada support for duvalierisme in Haiti," that's the former uh, dictatorship. That public letter or that uh, action alert is uh, available online, and you can. Send an email to all, all the MPs so the MPs know that there are people who are, uh, you know, paying attention to this and, and wanting them to, to speak up on this issue. It goes to the, the foreign affairs minister as well. Um, so those are those are two, you know, very concrete actions that people uh, can take. And I think also, uh, you know, just also informing themselves. Uh, we at the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, uh, we did a on Sunday. There was a, a discussion of uh, final day of Black History Month and uh, on the anniversary of the uh, coup. Against Against Aristide in 2004, we did a screening of uh, the movie Haiti Betrayed, uh, which is a very powerful uh, indictment of Canada's role in the 2004 coup and subsequent policy in Haiti. Uh, people can take a check out that movie. It's a very good introduction um, to uh, Canada's role in Haiti. Probably the best best film ever done on, on Canadian foreign policy. So people can uh, check that out on uh, Vimeo. 
Um, uh, so yeah, I get informed, uh, sign the public letter, send an email to the, the MPs. Uh, that's, uh, I think, um, you know, a good start and, and, uh, you know, pay attention to, uh, uh, the Canada Haiti information, uh, uh, project website and, uh, the foreign policy, foreign policy, uh, okay, foreign policy website at foreignpolicy.ca. And join the Haiti Solidarity Network because we only are strong, you know, as we stand together. Your books on Canadian foreign policy are really a primer for anyone interested in changing the way our government is operating in our name. Yeah, people can check out my writing at evengler.com, so Y-V-E-S-E-N-G-L-E-R.com. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. 